Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. It might be the most common greeting that many of us employ on a daily basis, something we say to one another. How many times a day do we ask somebody, what's up? And the most common response to that inquisitive greeting could well be, same old, same old, or it is what it is. We can do better than that. Every day is a gift. A gift of God every day can be an adventure. We worship a God who is in the business of making all things new. Same old, same old. Come on, we can do better than that. We can come up with a better answer. Someone told me that a rut is simply a grave with both ends kicked out, and we've got to get out of these ruts. What are you up to? What am I up to? What are we up to together as God's church? That's our theme for our Lenten series this year. What's up? What are we up to? Next week we'll talk about raise up. But this week I want for just a few moments to talk about take up. Take up the cross. Then Jesus told his disciples, if you want to become my followers, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, earlier in our passage, Jesus had told Peter, in essence, you are not on my side. You're not on my side. Whose side are we on? Let's let's think about that for a moment. And when I think about that question, I start thinking about these sports images. Think back to some in my own life, and obviously there are not many sports images in my own life, not worth telling, but one that I remember is in elementary school, Capitol View Elementary School in Southwest Atlanta. And we had a program there, a sports program called Gray Y, and Gray Y was sponsored by the YMCA. We played football and baseball and basketball. It was a loosely organized, low-budget kind of operation. Now, this is where it really got interesting. The opposing coaches or the coaches of each team served as the officials. What could possibly be wrong with that? <laughs> On this particular day, I was playing, it was football, I was playing left defensive end because we were short on people and they just had to put us all somewhere. And I remember the other team running the sweep around my end and the only way I could catch the guy was to get hold of his face mask. That's not good. 
I made the tackle. Fortunately, he was not hurt. I wasn't hurt either, but fortunately, he was not hurt. And while we were lining back up for the next play, my coach came over to me, put his arm around my neck, and said, Robinson, that face mask business is illegal, and if I see you do it again, I'm going to have to throw this flag. And that's what happens when your coach is the referee. Taking sides. What side are we on? I said, yes, sir, Mr. Coach. I mean, Mr. Referee. And a merciful official can be of great help to one team or the other. Whose side are we on? And there are so many other things I think of, games where I attended other situations where folks want to know, sometimes politically and otherwise, whose side are you on? What, what side of the aisle do you sit on? Our gospel lesson for this morning has a lot to say about taking sides. And it's a lesson that is immediately preceded in the 16th chapter of Matthew's gospel by Simon Peter's confession. You remember, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response to that confession of faith was, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of death, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. As today's lesson opens, Jesus is showing his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And he's talking to them about the things that are going to happen to him when he gets there, the terrible things that will happen to him at the hands of the religious leaders. Imagine that. He said that he would suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter couldn't handle this interpretation of messianic theology, even if it was coming from the Messiah. He just couldn't handle it at all. And he said to Jesus, he rebuked Jesus sharply, commanding him, he said, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus, sometimes we call him General Jesus, told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not on God's side, but you're on the side of mortals. And Matthew has preserved for us here what amounts to a shouting match between Jesus and Simon Peter. This is not some minor disagreement. Simon Peter is the voice of the tempter, seeking to derail Jesus, to get him off track, to send him in another direction, to interfere with his unfolding soon to end earthly ministry. And it brings to mind, I believe for Jesus, the voice of the tempter in the wilderness. You remember when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the Jordan and it said the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. I think all that was coming back to Jesus when Peter was saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus is feeling the presence of evil in this moment just as strongly as he did during that time in the wilderness a while, a year or two earlier. Jesus told Peter, you're not on God's side. Whose side are we on? That must have thrown Peter for a real loop, don't you know? Because Jesus had just finished saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you about who I am. And you're Peter, you're rock, you're a solid foundation. Remember we talked about foundations last week and about these confirmands and others building our life on the foundation. You are a rock, Peter, and on you I'll build my church. 
And how is it that just a few moments later, he's calling Peter the devil? What had Peter done that was so terrible? As far as we know, there was no moral lapse in the life of Peter. He hasn't gone off the rail in that direction. He hadn't committed any kind of crime. He is not guilty of robbing a bank, had not broken any of the commandments that we know about. We assume that he had not sold any secrets to any of Jesus' real enemies, which would have been a crime. But what did he say to cause Jesus to react so strongly? All he said was, God forbid, Lord, this shall, shall never happen to you. And it sounds to me, doesn't it, maybe to you, on the level like an expression of concern? What's wrong with not wanting someone we love to be hurt? It just doesn't seem that bad at first. So what was it really that caused Jesus to say to Peter, you're playing for the wrong team, old buddy. Somewhere you got turned around and you wound up in the wrong dugout. The answer to the question, I think, is tied up with something I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus' earlier temptations in the wilderness. You may remember those stories. One scholar put it like this when trying to explain Jesus' reaction to Peter. It seems so crazy to us, so out of character. He said, in that moment, there came back to him with cruel force the temptations which he faced in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. He had been tempted to take the way of power. Give them bread, give them something to eat. They'll follow you. They'll do anything you like. This is a poor country. This is a poor region. Folks are hungry and struggling for bread. Look at all these rocks. Turn them into bread and they'll be on your side, Lord. And Jesus didn't take that bait, didn't take that temptation. Or throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, Lord, off the very top of the steeple and fall down and let the angels swoop by and catch you. That's quite a show, Lord, a spectacle. People love a spectacle. They'll pack the house for a good show. Just do it, Lord. Wouldn't do it, Jesus, wouldn't do it. And on and on he kept pressing, Satan kept pressing you. The same temptation was coming back to Jesus when Peter said, God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. So what does it mean for us, this idea of taking sides? Does it mean that we can be honest, morally upright people all of our lives? We can take the right side on every social and economic and political issue that comes our way and still not be on God's side. I believe that's what it's trying to say. Those issues are important. We, we debate them, we talk about them, we, we pray about them, but we can be on the correct side or what we perceive to be the correct side of every issue and still not be on God's team. How can we be sure that our names appear on God's team roster? We want to check that. We want to make sure our names are there, don't we? By paying careful attention Verses 24 through 26 in today's gospel lesson, Peter wanted Jesus to take the easy way out, to avoid the way of the cross. And this is precisely the point that causes many Christian folk today to end up standing on the wrong sidelines, wearing the wrong jersey. Jesus knew the road he must take to save others and not himself. And if we would be his followers, that same road stretches out in front of us. 
If any person would come after me, Jesus said, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul, lose their lives? Or what will we give in return for our life? Jesus never hid the sharp demands of discipleship. We have two new disciples today, a reminder to them, but a reminder to all of us. He doesn't mean that every follower is going to die a violent kind of death, but every follower must meet the conditions of discipleship. And we need to review those and think about them from time to time. A guy named W.N. Clow has drawn a distinction between a burden and a cross. And this is something I've long thought about, and maybe you've thought about it too. He writes that burdens are the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. In other words, everybody, Christian or not, has burdens to carry. Things just happen. Folks we love die. We get sick. We worry. We have doubts and fears and anxieties. But we volunteer to carry or to take up a cross. There's a difference between a burden that comes because we're human and stuff just happens to us and deliberately taking up a cross because we've decided to follow Jesus the Christ and get involved in that self-denial and realize we can't always come first. For those who wish to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Folks talk a lot about finding themselves, almost like there's a predetermined formula, a blueprint somewhere. And if we just search long enough and hard enough, we find that blueprint, we find that formula, and everything will work out. We'll know why we're here and what we're supposed to do. But Jesus says only as we lose ourselves following him and in service to one another do we figure out who we really are and, and what we're doing here. Tony Campolo put it like this. He said, it's important to affirm that something great you will never do unless you follow Jesus. There's something wonderful that God will never be able to accomplish in your life until you give your life to Jesus and surrender to his will. There's something of ultimate importance that God wants each of us to achieve for God. And when you come to grips with Jesus, you'll come to know that purpose. And when you discern his mission for you, you'll know what your life is all about. Then and only then will your quest for meaning and purpose be realized as we give ourselves to Jesus, as we deny self, and that's part of what Lent can help us to do if we'll allow it to do that. If we are to be on God's side, there is no other way but the way of the cross. Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not on God's side. But even in those seemingly harsh words, and those are hard words, aren't they? Even in those harsh words, can you sense, can you hear, can you feel the mercy and the grace? It's almost like Jesus is saying he's disgusted, he's angry, but he's also saying, get behind me, Peter, and follow me. And I'll show you how to live the life of a servant. I'll show you how to be filled with mercy and grace and get behind me, Peter, and follow me and we'll walk into the Father's house together. Maybe those words aren't as harsh and condemning as they first sound. 
Now, every preacher in the world has told this next story. Let me close with this story. And you've probably all heard it many times, maybe told better than I'm going to tell it, but it's about the Sunday morning when the church was gathered for worship and a man dressed up in a devil costume with horns and pitchforks and the whole Halloweenish kind of thing came walking into the sanctuary. Well, my goodness, people started scrambling, hiding under the pews, running out the doors, jumping out the windows if the windows were even open and just scared to death. And one woman in particular caught her heel in the edge of the carpet and she fell down, fell on her back. And the devil character came and stood above her and she was terrified. And she started to talk and she said, Mr. Devil, Mr. Devil, I've been in this church for 45 years, but I promise you, I've been on your side the whole time. <laughs> oh, mercy. Whose side are we on? I think by your presence here today and your participation in worship and your affirmation of these two new disciples, I think you're on the right side. I hope I'm on the right side. So once again, as they have promised to do today, let us all promise to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And together, we'll enter the Father's house. Amen.